welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. said before what a week it's been in sport it is actually a very very good time for sport uh we've got wimbledon finals on the the cricket world cup is on too bad australia's not involved in any of those things right now um the we're not going to talk about the afl this week there's a lot of stuff happening in sport and you know as i was reading through nehemiah and i didn't even know what they were going to show today with that uh, livingston video but uh, I felt like God was talking to me about the power of teams. And if you look through history, you'll see that there have been some incredible teams, some of the greatest teams that have, that have ever been um, in sporting. One of those was the Green Bay Packers, the 1962 Green Bay Packers. Uh, that's them there. They went undefeated in the season, and then they went on to win the Super Bowl. Uh, they've been said to be one of the greatest NFL football teams in history. Then we have the 1992 West Coast Eagles. You can see there, one of our glory days back in the day, came over to Victoria and stole the cup. One of the greatest football teams ever, in my unbiased opinion. (laughs) But then we had the uh, 92-93 Chicago Bulls. Jordan. Won three championships in a row. And after that, Michael Jordan decided to retire. And then a couple of other people won championships. And then in 1996, we come back and we see the new team. Michael Jordan returns and the Chicago Bulls win another three championships. Incredible. Great team. And then we have the Golden State Warriors who come in and break the record that the Chicago Bulls won. They had won 72 games in a season of 82 games. And people said no one will ever be able to win that many games again. And then the Golden State Warriors come out and win 73 games. And these are great teams, teams that have been taken down in history. But at the same time as the the Golden State Warriors were uh, taking on the NBA, there was another team. And this team didn't get as much publicity, but it should go down as one of the greatest teams ever to exist. It is also the Bulls, but it is the Grace Life Bulls. If we can get a picture up there. <laughs> this is the Grace Life Bulls. And um, there is such a backstory, such an inspirational story to this team. They, they were, at one point in Division C, men's basketball on a Monday night, and um, didn't do too good in that, and so they got bumped down to Division D. And... Uh, we forget that season. And this season took place in, when we were in Division F, which is probably the lowest. <laughs> I don't think there is a lower division than Division F, but uh, this was a, t- a photo taken after the grand final victory where, where they had fought back from a season of, of lots of broken bones <laughs> and ankles and, and injuries and overcome so much to be where they were. And uh, probably not as much has been written about them in pub, in pub, like publicity hasn't given them as much attention. There hasn't yet been a documentary about this team, but we're working on that right now. We're trying to get some, 
get some momentum with that. But what we've actually done, and, and you probably didn't even realize that there were members of this illustrious sporting team in your family. So what we've actually done is we've, we've made some memorabilia and we've got some stuff that will be on sale just outside in that foyer after. If we can show you, we've got some key rings that we've made up. So you can actually take a part of history with you on your keys. Take the, the, the eight, 2018 Grace Life Bulls with you wherever you go. We've got some coffee cups made up as well. So if you want to get one of them after, after the service, we're going to have them for sale. You can grab as many as you want. And uh, the money is going to go toward funding the documentary that we're going to be filming <laughs> later on in the year. Some of the greatest memories. I've got my little trophy there. I brought it today. It's a little trophy for the F grade <laughs> basketball final. And what I what I discovered is an F is actually easy to turn into an A if you scratch a line down there so it looks like the A grade final. I'm just going to put that there so everyone remembers the Bulls. Remember the Titans, remember the Bulls. Now the reason, <laughs> there is actually a point to this. The reason I, I was thinking in this vein is that as I entered into chapter 3 of Nehemiah, I see this incredible, and it's been spoken, this incredible teamwork that takes place. There's this motivation, there's this leader that gets everyone together, that gathers everyone together, and Nehemiah plays this role of, of somewhat of a coach. He coaches the team, he, he gets in and he gives instructions, he motivates, he pulls them together, he gathers them, he equips them, he, he encourages them, and he plays the, the role of a coach in this, in this couple of chapters. And so today I want to pull out of Nehemiah's coaching handbook just a couple of uh, ideas on how uh, we can be in the game of life, in the game of building the kingdom. The first thing, as I was reading through chapter 3, and I, I don't know about you, but uh, the, you, when you approach the Bible, when you come to the Scriptures, I've been so encouraged by reading through again Nehemiah and just remembering like some of the stuff that we see in Scripture. You, you flick on a page and you see there is miracles where seas are parted. There's miracles where blind eyes are open. There's miracles where the dead are raised back to life, where water is turned into wine, where there's these plagues, that, 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 these incredible, powerful miracles that take place, these spectacular, significant things that we see in Scripture as you read pages, chapters full of them. And then you read chapters like Nehemiah 3, where you could perhaps think that there's not a lot happening in there. And, and if we're honest, anyone read through that and, and kind of skip through a bit of it. This person did this and this and that and this and that and that and so then this person built this and Anyone fast forward? Honest? What about the genealogies? When we read through genealogies, you come to a chapter where it's like, oh, this person begat that person and begat that and begat blah, 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 blah. Quickly, 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 get through that. We come to a chapter like this and, and, and perhaps that's the attitude that we, we, we take with it. But I see it as a picture of life where there is often chapters, pages, parts of the story that seem somewhat mundane, that seem somewhat repetitive, 
that seem somewhat insignificant. And then there's chapters where we see the spectacular, the miraculous, the wonderful movement of God. And I want to say today that, that the building of the kingdom takes place in both chapters. The parts of our lives that we think are almost mundane, the parts of our lives that we think are repetitious, the parts of our lives that we think are insignificant. Nehemiah 3 shows us that, that whilst this happened and this happened and this happened and we read into that and we think, oh, well, that's a little bit different, that something significant was happening by just people putting rocks on other rocks, by people putting their effort toward the work that was before them. Here is the coaching tip from Nehemiah, the first one. It's maximize the mundane. Maximize the mundane. Any coach will tell you that if you want to become great at something, you have to practice the basics over and over and over and over again. And then when you get good at that, you continue to work on the basics over and over and over and over and over again. Because it's in the preparation, it's in the, the, the repetition, it's in the over and over and over again that we see greatness is developed, that we see power and strength and courage and character is developed. And coaches would say, you, you take those moments, those mundane, the, rep the repetition, the coming to training, the going to work, the going to the same office, sitting at the same desk, talking to the same people, working on the same machinery, going to the same classroom, going to the same shopping center, walking down the same aisles. The things that seem insignificant, that seem somewhat mundane. And a coach would say, draw the most out of those moments that you can. So when we read something like Nehemiah 3, we could glance through it, we could fast forward it, or we could get into it and maximize what may seem mundane. Because when we get into it, we realize, hang on, there's nothing insignificant about what's taking place here at all. In fact, this is very significant to the building of the walls. Maximize the mundane. How many times do you wake up and, and think, oh, it's just another day. And I'm just going to go through the same routine that I went through last week. I'm going to be talking to the same people, uh, playing the same games, doing the same things as I did last week. And we can just get into the motions of just going through. Going through life and, and kind of drifting through without realizing that every day we are alive, it's a gift of grace. And there is opportunity in every day. In every interaction, as uh, mundane as we may think it could be. And so we see from Nehemiah 3 that we have to maximize the mundane. Take out of every day what you can get out of it. If you come to it with the approach like, oh, I've just got to get through this because I'm looking for the spectacular. I'm looking for the miraculous. I'm looking for the incredible to take place. You will resent the normality of life. And how many of our pages and chapters are actually built where our character is built in the normality, the regularity of life, in what seems mundane, in what seems in, un, insignificant and unimportant? So much is built in those times. As much of the kingdom is built in those times of normal, everyday working and walking with Jesus as is built in the spectacular, the miraculous. And we can get this mindset where we want to jump to the next chapter. 
where something significant's going to happen and we resent or forget about what God is doing in the day. Maximize the mundane. What else do we see here? We see here that teamwork makes the dream work. Teamwork makes the dream work. Nehemiah has this burden from God. God gives him this burden to, to rebuild the walls, to take the disgrace of Jerusalem off, to, to, to restore what God is wanting to do in that, in that uh, city. And he gives him this burden, but that burden is way too big for one person. It's way too big for a, a group of people. It's a vision that, that, that requires a whole city of people to play their part in rebuilding those walls. See, Nehemiah could have the dream. He could have the vision. And that vision could be incredible. It could be God-inspired. It could be God-ordained. But it still requires others to be involved in carrying out that dream, carrying out that mission. It requires a citywide effort to bring those walls together. And Nehemiah understood that. We see that the people understood that as well. In verse 10 of, of, of chapter 4, it says, The people of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired. And there is so much rubble to be moved. We're, we're never going to be able to build the wall by ourselves. They understand the, the, the capacity. They understand the, the greatness of this mission. And not one, not two, not three, not 50 could do this. It required a whole team effort, a whole family coming together and doing their part. I, I tore my ACL when I was playing football, and it was in a church football game of all places. Tore my ACL. I actually tore my shoulder ligament, the, the church football game before that, when I was tackled by a girl who was playing football as well. Tore my ACL. Came, went up for this huge mark. I reckon I was probably like 15 metres in the air going for this mark. This is how I remember it. And I just came down and just my leg snapped out like that, tore it. I didn't even realise I had an ACL until I tore my ACL. I didn't realise that there was a ligament in my knee that actually stabilised my walk until I tore it. And that thing is probably like that big. And you compare that to my whole body, it's only a small part. But when it was not functioning properly, I couldn't walk. I was on crutches. So it is the body. We're called to be a body. Paul gives this illustration of the body to the church. He says that each one of us, every part of us, is part of a bigger body. We're part of a bigger family. And every single one of us has a role that, that we play in that family. Every single one of us has a part that we play. And no one part is more important or significant than the other. Some may be seen more. He says some may be, may be put on show more. Like my legs. You may see them more. But my ACL, which is inside of my leg, is actually doing the work of keeping my leg stable. Some parts aren't seen, but every part is important. And it's when we come together as the church that we are able to fulfill God's vision, His purpose, His dream for this world. We have to come together. It's, it, it's the teamwork. It's everyone doing what they can, doing their part to build the kingdom. Now, I think I've said this before. 
with our, our, our kind of, I guess, culture in maybe Perth, maybe Australia, um, when it comes to church, it can become, a lot of it can just become about the Sunday. And Bobby alluded to this before, which the Sunday is important when we gather together. But this is not meant to be the be-all be and end-all of Christianity. This is not even meant to be the, the, the pinnacle of your week as a Christian. This is to come together to encourage each other, to worship God together as family, to, to remind each other of how good He is, to tell each other the testimonies of what He's been doing in our lives, to dig into the Word together, to, to fellowship together. But what can happen is that we, we put so much effort into this Sunday that we, we become tired or we become complacent about what we are meant to be doing in the outside. Or another culture that we see is that there'll be a, a handful of people that will um, be so involved in what takes place in the local church that they become weary, that they become burdened, where they're just tired burnt out because they're doing so much towards this local family that they can't give anything outside. That's not healthy. That's not how healthy families should, should work. Healthy families are where everyone is doing their part, whatever their part may be. And that's the culture that we want to cultivate here at Grace Life is that everyone can do whatever they can. It said there, and someone, someone spoke about this, that uh, in, in verse Chapter 3, verse 28. Above the horse gate, the priests repaired the wall. Each one repaired the section immediately across from his own house. Next, Zadok, son of Imma, also rebuilt the wall across from his own house. And beyond him was Shemei, son of Shekinah, the gatekeeper of the east gate. And then it goes on, and a couple of the others, they built what was in front of them. This is what family looks like. We do what is in front of us. We all do that little bit. We all, we all help to build what is in front of us. Everyone involved in it. And it's teamwork that makes that dream work. Here is the, the third call from Coach Nehemiah's playbook. The name on the front of the jersey matters more than the name on the back of the jersey. On a, on a sporting jersey, you'll see that the, the team name is represented on the front of the jersey. The player's name is on the back of the jersey. One of the, the critical jobs of a coach is to help the team cultivate an attitude that the team name matters more than the name on the back. And you'll see that there are some superstars that, that have huge egos that want everything to be about them more than the team that they play on. I was just watching a documentary on Shaquille O'Neal. Who's ever heard of Shaquille O'Neal? Shaquille, he was one of the most dominant centers in the NBA. And I was watching a documentary where he, he left the Orlando Magic who he was playing for. And they said, what, what was it that made you do that? And he said, it was my ego. I wanted to be the best. He was 22, 23 years old. And there was another star player that joined that team, Anthony Hardaway. And he left the magic to go to play for the Lakers because he wanted to be the big dog. He wanted to be the one that was remembered. He wanted everyone to think that it was his team. Unless the name of Jesus becomes bigger than our names on the back of our jerseys, then we'll be in it for what we can get out of it rather than what we can bring to it. 
The name of Jesus is what we're here for. It's not to promote any other name. It's not the name of Grace Life, because we are only, Grace Life is building the part in front of us. We're no better than the, the, the Baptist church down the road. We're no better than any other church in this area. We're just doing what we feel God has called us to do, to build in front of us. But it's not about the name of Grace Life. It's not about my name. It's not about anyone else's name. It's about the name of Jesus. And so when it comes to building, when it comes to, to doing this life, to, to being a Christian, our names have to go out the window for the name of Jesus. We've got to unite around His name, not around personalities, but about around the person of Jesus and let Him lead us. Let Him be the one who gets the glory. Let His name be the one that resounds through this community. Let Him be the one that gets famous in this community. Let the name of Jesus be known in this community. It's about the name on front, not the one on the back. Not that the people on the not that each of us is insignificant or doesn't matter. We all matter and we all play our part, but it's not about us at the end of the day. And so when we can make it about him, when we, we leave our egos, when we leave our pride, when we leave our need to, to be known at the door, then I think we can make a big difference. We can build the way God wants us to build. Heard of Michael Jordan before? A couple of us? Who's ever heard of Scotty Pippen? Scotty Pippen. He's actually a, a Chicago Bulls player. What you may not know is that every team that Michael Jordan won a championship with, he had a guy on the same team called Scotty Pippen. Everyone remembers Jordan. Not many people remember Pippen. And even Michael Jordan himself has said that he wouldn't have won those championships if it wasn't for his teammates having Scotty Pippen there on his team. And here is a quote from Scotty Pippen. He says, Sometimes a player's greatest challenge is coming to grips with his role on the team. To understand that in order for them to be successful as a team, he had to be prepared to support the player that was Michael Jordan, to play his role on the team. If he was taken on to any other team, he would be a superstar. Scottie Pippen won the same amount of championships. He won Defensive Player of the Year. He won all of, all of these different individual accolades as well. But he understood that in order for that team to be successful, he just had to play his role. There's a big difference between what Shaq's ego was and what Pippen's was. And we might not remember his name, but he played his part. Reading through this chapter in chapter 3, who highlighted the names? Well done, Bobby. Who memorized any of those names? Who could even pronounce them? I couldn't. I couldn't. I was like, what? Yep, yep. That's what I found if you come to Scripture where you're unsure of what it says, a name, you just say it confidently and quickly, and then everyone else thinks that that's how you say it. But those names are written in this book, and we might not remember them, but they played their part. They did what was before them, they, and, and, and they did it not so that they could have their own book in the Bible. They did it because there was a job to do. There was work before them. They had to be part of rebuilding their city. Let his name be the, the reason that we gather. 
Let his name be the one that unites us. Let his name be the one that brings us together. And let his name receive all the glory. We empty ourselves of it. We humble ourselves so that he can be the superstar. Here's the next thing in the, in the, the coach's playbook. A good coach will understand the abilities, the, the tactics, the plays of their own team. A great coach will also study the opponent. A great coach will give time to looking at what are the, the, the moves, the techniques, the, the, uh, the abilities, the plays of the opponent. Here is the point. Know your opponent. What happens in chapter 4, we see that immediately as they begin this good work, as they begin to rebuild, that there is opposition. Straight away. Anyone ever experienced that before? You feel like God is calling you to do something. You put your hand to it. And within moments, someone out of nowhere pops up and starts to tell you that there's foxes walking on the wall. I mean, what? As soon as they put their hand to the good work, opposition comes in. Opposition steps up and comes in. Can I tell you that if you want to build kingdom, if you want to be involved in following Jesus, it is not an if, it is not a maybe, it is a it will happen. There will be opposition. And if you don't run into opposition every now and then, you may want to check the direction that you're running because you may be running in the same direction. Opposition comes. And I don't say that to, to scare us. I don't say that to throw us off. I don't say that to discourage us. I'm just saying that because it's what takes place. And if we're not prepared for it, then we may miss and we may fall back and we may walk away. But we see in Nehemiah that he was actually, he, he had some strategies to, to work against the opposition that came. Here's a few things that we see. One of the, one of the, the tactics of the, the opponent in this, in this uh, passage was to discourage. They came along and they said in verse uh, 2 of chapter 4, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build a wall in a single day just by offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think they can make something of stones and a rubbish heap? And charred ones at that? Then Tobiah the Ammonite, who was standing beside him, remarked and said, the stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked on top of it. That's probably the worst kind of comeback I've ever heard. I'm, not, I'm reading that. Like, <laughs> okay. But straight away they start to discourage them. The work that you're doing, it's, it's worthless. How are you ever going to do it? What? what? There's no way you guys could do it. You're using rubbish. Like, what do they think they're doing? Discouragement. Starts to come with the dis discouragement. It's one of the, the tactics of the enemy is to discourage us. Let me tell you a truth. The enemy is defeated. And we have victory in Christ. That is the truth. But if the enemy can make you feel like you are defeated, then he's doing his job. And how does he do that? By discouraging us. 
by planting these seeds, even these thoughts into our minds that, that would rob us of the courage and the, the, the passion and the zeal that we need to continue the work. To tell you that you're worthless, to tell you that you're not enough, to tell you that it's, not, it's all falling apart, there's nothing you can do to, to steal hope from you. It's one of the tactics of the enemy. And if we're unaware of that, then we may just receive that. We may just allow that to take place. But if we become aware of it, then we can do something about it. I think that's why the Bible calls us to come together and encourage each other, to strengthen each other, to, to walk alongside each other. Because there's so many times that, that, that the opponent is trying to discourage, to steal, to strip down, to break you down. That's one of the ways we see there. Here's another way, to distract. They keep coming. They just keep popping up out of nowhere and just like talking. It's like, what, what are they doing? They're trying to distract them from focusing on what they're focusing on. If the opponent can get you off of the work, can get your eyes off of Jesus, if the opponent can get your eyes off of what you're called to do and onto something else, whatever it is, it doesn't have to be him. It can be anything. Then he's taken you out of the work that you're called to and you become inactive and ineffective. It's a tactic to distract us. In this modern age, distraction is huge. Distraction is massive. And it can be something that, that is so subtle that the enemy can use to kind of get our focus away from Jesus and distract us with the issue, distract us with something that, that, that we can give our time to, that we can give our affection to, that we can give our attention to, which takes our mind off of him, looking to him listening to Him, doing what He's called us to. And so if we understand that, then we can, we can combat that by staying focused on what really matters. In those moments when distraction comes, when, when something tries to pull your attention in one, one way, away from Jesus, we know, hang on a second, I'm staying focused on what really matters. I'm staying focused on Jesus. Here's the other thing that we see there, division. Nehemiah understood that, that the work was very spread out. And it says here in, um, what does it say here? It says here somewhere, <laughs> verse 19, I explained to the nobles and the officials and all the people, the work is very spread out and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. So when you hear the blast of the trumpet, rush to wherever it is sounding. Because when the enemy attacks, we need to be united. Because right now we're spread out. It's a tactic of the enemy is to divide so that he can come in. And listen to what he says. He says, when you hear the blast of the trumpet, rush to wherever it is sounding. So here's the picture. We get off, the, off our little part and we all come together. And then our God will fight for us. Not the enemy will see the size of our army. Not that the enemy will be intimidated because of our strength and our, 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 our weaponry, but because in unity, God fights for us. When we are brought together in unity, then God fights for us. So be, be aware of this division in your marriage, in your family, in churches. I've seen things torn apart because division comes. People walk away. People get separated. And when they're separated, they're isolated. And then the enemy comes in 
to steal, kill, and destroy. It's one of his tactics. And so Nehemiah understood if there's a point when the enemy comes toward us, we need to be together. We need to be united. We've got to be together on this. So he pulls them together. Know your opponent. Paul says it to the Corinthians. He says, we don't want you to be ignorant of the enemy's schemes. We don't want you to be taken out because you just don't know what, what the enemy is doing. And you know what? Sometimes your, your greatest opponent is you. It's not something outside of you. It's something inside of you. The, the, the broken paradigms that we work with, that our thinking systems, our structures that we, that we live within, sometimes our opponent that we're, we're battling is us. It's the voice of doubt in us. It's the voice of fear in us. It's the hopelessness in us. It's the sin that we hold on to and cling on to. And God wants, to, wants us to just let that go. But I'll finish with this. The last thing there is look to the captain. Look to the captain. In a sporting team, when things are getting difficult, when the game's on the line, when you're tired, when you're weary, the team will always look to the captain to see how the captain's responding to the moment. They'll look to see if they're still in it. Their body language, their disposition, their, their spirit. Are they fighting still? They'll look to the captain. And in this passage, when the people get tired, Nehemiah speaks to them. And this could be, you know, if you were making a, a sporting movie, there's always got to be one of those speeches that really rallies everyone. Well, Nehemiah 4, verse 14 says, Then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, Do not be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord, who is great and gracious, great and glorious, and fight for your brothers and your sisters, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. Discouragement had come. Weariness was coming. The game is on the line. And Nehemiah stands up and points them to the captain of their salvation. Points them to remember the Lord. Do not be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious. In those times of discouragement, in those times when we're building, when we're working, when we're walking, following Jesus... You've got to look to the captain. You've got to look to Jesus himself. He is the author and perfecter, the finisher of our faith. He is the one who has gone before us. He is our example, our strength. Look to Jesus. Nehemiah takes the, the attention off himself and says, look to the captain. Remember the Lord. He is in this. He is working. He is fighting for you. And if he is for you, then who can be against you? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in this world. So remember the Lord. Look to the captain. Focus on Jesus. Draw strength from Jesus and fight. He says there, don't be afraid. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers. Fight for your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And this is where it starts to get real because even though I've been trying to speak in a metaphor, I knew the kids would be in here as well, of sport. This is not a game. This is serious stuff. 
Fight for those, your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, your homes. He says, there is a good work here and people's lives are at stake. We're not here to play happy crap, happy crappy. Even that, happy clappy Christians on a Sunday. When people's lives are at stake, when eternity is at stake. And Nehemiah says, will you stand up and fight for your sons, your daughters, your homes, your community, your relationships? Will somebody stand up and fight? We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.